is great. There's a lot going on in our world today. And there's a lot of ideas, a lot of predictions and prophecies and pontificating about this coming week. So beginning of this week, as I was spending some time with the Lord in the study, just trying to get quiet before him, just ask the Lord, what, I, what do you want me to say to your people? What do your people need to hear? What do I need to say today, this week, Lord? And as I just got quiet, the, the, the thing that kept coming back that I kept hearing them was pretty simple. It was just, point them to me. So that's my entire strategy today. I really don't have an eloquent message except to point you to God. So I'm going to read to you from the scriptures, the word of the Lord, Psalm 139. And I'm going to read through it, and I'm going to ask, it's been a while since we've done this, but for whatever reason I feel led to do this today, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word, just as a representation that we stand under the authority of scripture. Psalm 139 of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated, please. 
when you come to the Psalms, sometimes we're told what the context was for when they were written. For example, there's a Psalm that says David wrote this when he was hiding out in a cave. There's another one, David wrote this after he had been confronted with his sin. But we come to Psalm 139, and it's kind of hard to know what the context was. We know from linguistic evidence that whatever was happening, somebody or something was threatening David's life. And we know from David's story that there were a lot of times that his way of life was being threatened. There were times when he himself was being threatened, and not just by his enemies, like Goliath or the Philistines. But sometimes his life was threatened by his own king, Saul, or his own son, Absalom. His own very family was trying to take him out. I mean, you've got friends and family like that. Who needs enemies? So David is writing this psalm, and in the context of his life being threatened in some way, he writes this brilliant, moving psalm, and it's about God. He takes his focus off of his situation and what he's seeing right now, and he puts it on the only one who can do anything about his situation, which is God. So this psalm is about God and what God is like and what difference that makes when it's applied to my life when my life is being threatened. The U.S. News and World Report used to have a section in it that was entitled, News You Can Use. And when we used to get that, I used to, that would be the first place I'd flip, I'd flip to the News You Could Use section because it's supposed to be practical news that would make a difference in how you live. Well, this psalm is News You Can Use. And because I think there are people here today who may feel that your way of life is being threatened, you may be threatened, maybe it's because of the pandemic, maybe it's a health issue, it's a financial issue, maybe it's an issue in your family, something is threatening your family, this is news you can use this morning. And it's intensely personal. I mean, this is a prayer from David, and he's just raw in this prayer, and it's intensely personal, and we're going to word the points in a very practical, personal way so that when you write notes and you write it down, it's going to be written from a perspective of you saying it yourself, just like David was saying this himself to God. Now, the, the wording for those points I got from somebody somewhere a long time ago, but I can't remember who it was. I would give them credit. But once it's been in my file for a few years, it's original with me. That's kind of how I feel about it. Um, it's really not, but I can't remember who to thank for it. So let's just dive right into the text again. Number one, here's the first thing that David says that is news you can use. It's this. Number one, God knows everything about me. God knows everything about me. Look at the text again. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, too lofty for me to attain. You hear what the psalmist is saying? It, it, it's beautiful. He's saying that no matter what I do or where I go or what I think or how I feel, God already knows it. There is nothing about me that God doesn't know, and yet he still loves me. Just enjoy this with me for a moment. He knows all my successes. He knows all my failures. He knows all my selfishness. He knows my affections. He knows my good thoughts and my bad thoughts. He knows my valiant efforts. He knows when I'm being lazy, and yet he doesn't leave me. He still loves me. And that blows me away, and it should blow you away. It blew away the, the psalmist. David says, it's too much. It's too, it's too lofty for me to attain. There is nothing threatening your life right now that God doesn't know about. 
You might be thinking, okay, you know, all right, he knows about it, but what difference does it make? Here's what the difference it makes. It means that there is not one iota, not one variable in your situation that's going to take God by surprise. Nothing has happened this year. Nothing is going to happen this week that's going to take God by surprise. Nothing. And since he already knows about it, he has already taken action to provide for you in that situation. You have everything you need to do this week with life and godliness. You have it already. I mean, a number of years ago, when I was a teenager, it was a number of years ago. In the 80s, my, the first car that, that, that was my car was a 1987 vet. Not a Corvette, a Chevette. The young people may not know what a Chevette was, but it was just a little Chevette. But it was, it was the coolest. As far as Chevettes go, it was the coolest. It was, it was charcoal gray, wide tires, chrome rims, tinted windows, and a loud Bose sound system. Yeah. Played cassette tapes. Huh? The children are like, a cassette what? Cassette tapes. You, if you remember this, for those of you who don't know, you actually put the cassette in. And if you wanted to hear a song again, you had to push rewind. See, we, didn't, we weren't like on our phones when we were driving. When I was a teenager, we were rewinding the tape while we were driving. You remember that? Was that far enough? No, a little bit farther. And then one side was done, you had to eject the tape, flip it over, and put it back in. So I get this 87 vet. And I had it for a little while, and the next year, one of the card, you know, the, the registration card comes in the mail. And I look at it, I'm a teenager, I, I'd never known anything about that, you know, I was 17 at the zenith of my knowledge about how to do life. And so I find this card, and it says, you've got to register your car and pay taxes on it again this year. And I didn't know you did that and realized that you've you, you got to do that every single year. This is the first one. I go to my dad. I'm like, Dad, you never believe this. Do you know you have to register your car every single year? And you've got to pay taxes every single year. And he looked at me. I'll never forget that he didn't say anything, but the look on his face said, Oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> well, he said, Son, I know, and I've already taken care of it. You see, because my dad knew, he had already taken, taken steps to, to pay for the tax. He had already taken care of it. Why? Because that's what a dad does. Do you think that's any less true of your heavenly father? There is nothing facing you that he doesn't know about it, and he's already taken action on your behalf. This week, I was listening to a podcast, and, and John Piper was being interviewed, and they asked him what he thought the most important verse in the Bible was, and this is what he answered. He said he thought the most important verse in the Bible was Romans 8.32. I thought he was going to say Romans 8.28, you know, all things work together for good. But he, didn't say, he said it's Romans 8.32, which says, he who did not spare his own son. We're talking about a heavenly father here. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, the heavenly father already gave us Jesus. He already gave us the highest thing, and he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. And if he gave us Jesus, and didn't just give us Jesus, but gave us Jesus, and his beard was ripped out, he was spit upon, they put a crown of thorns down on his head, they nailed him to a tree. You think that was easy for the Father to do that? And the, here's the whole point of that verse, is that if he gave you Jesus, he's going to give you everything you need. There's not anything. And, and, and so Piper said, this is the greatest promise because it undergirds all the promises that are out there. God knows everything about me. He already gave me Jesus. He's going to give me everything I need this week. So 
number one, God knows everything about me. Number two, God is everywhere I will ever be. He is everywhere I will ever be. Look at verses 7 and following. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I ride on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And if I say, well, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is so beautiful. You see, you see what David's saying? He's saying, wherever you go, God is. And notice the directions in the text. He says, up or down. If I go up to heavens or if I go into the depths. And the depths there, the NIV translates it. Depths, it's the Hebrew word sheol. It means the place of the dead. So this is not just geographical up and down. This is the next life. And then he says, east or west, where the dawn rises and the sun sets as far as the east is from the west. And then he says, even the darkness, verse 11. I've been thinking about that this week and even haunted by that phrase, even the darkness. What's the point there? He's saying God is there. If you find yourself this morning in a dark place, God is right there. You say, well, well, I don't feel him. Well, according to David, your feelings are lying to you. You, you. You may not feel him, but be assured of this. You haven't miraculously discovered the one place in the universe where God is not. He's right there. He's right here, right now, with us, this moment, in this room. And that's not just the testimony of David. That is the unanimous declaration of Scripture. Hear hear what Scripture says, Jeremiah 23, 24. Can anyone hide in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth? Or Job 34, 22. There is no dark place, no deep shadow where evildoers can hide. Now, I I don't think that the point of the psalm is that you can't get away from God, like there's no escape, although that is, of course, true. I think the point that the psalmist is trying to make here is that no matter where I find myself, whether it be a geographical location or a state of mind, in other words, even in a dark place, no matter what life-threatening situation I've got myself into, God is there. Even if you're here this morning and you find yourself in a skeptical place, Maybe, maybe that's where you are. You could insert that in the psalm. Even, even the dark, even the skeptical place. God's still here. Maybe you're feeling a little disillusioned. God's still here. Even in that place. I, I know a lot of people are wrestling with disillusionment right now. Some disillusioned with our country. Some disillusioned with the church family, friends. I was reading this week a, a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a, a pastor in Germany uh, when Hitler rose to power and he stood up against Hitler. He was actually assassinated. He was killed, hung uh, in a concentration camp because of his stand against Hitler. And he wrote a book in 1939. This, I find this fascinating. 1939, Nazi Germany. He writes a book entitled Life Together, and it's talking about living in community in the church. And he says, every person who's on an authentic walk with God, if you're on on an authentic journey with God, at some point you'll be disillusioned with two things. Number one, if it's it's a real walk with God, if it's a real relationship with God, at some point you're going to get disillusioned with yourself. At some point you're going to realize you're not as hot as you thought you were. 
right? At some point, you're going to realize God's not the problem, it's you. If it's a real journey with God. If you're relating to the real God, eventually you're going to figure out, you know what, I'm not as mature as I thought I was. That's number one. Number two, he says, if it's a real authentic journey with God, at some point you'll get disillusioned with the church. Because at some point you're going to realize that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so at some point you're going to realize you had this naive sort of dream view of what the church is going to be like and somebody's not going to act perfect and you're going to be like, what in the world? And you know what he says? It's a good thing. That's what he said. It's a, it's a good thing because you can be disabused of these false notions and now you can get down to doing real community and getting real with each other and God can bring healing. So I know, I know there's a lot of people who, and, and, and I've been chatting with, with some of you who have been really disillusioned related to things like the gift of prophecy and, and, and there's a temptation uh, uh, to be skeptical uh, uh, just in general to become cynical uh, and, and to you know uh, just to, to begin to question everything but let me just remind you there even in the new testament there were times where people began to be skeptical about the gift of prophecy in fact paul put it this way first thessalonians five nineteen. he said do not put out the spirit's fire do not treat prophecies with contempt. Why would he say that? Because they were. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but don't just accept everything. Test everything and hold on to the good. That's what he said. Listen, don't just believe everything you hear. Test it, right? And then hold on to it. But don't, but don't just throw out everything. I know some of you, you're feeling a little disillusioned right now. And I feel like the Lord would say, listen, he sees you where you are. He hasn't left you. He's right there. Don't just throw out everything. So you might be in a skeptical place, but God is there too. God knows everything about me. God will be everywhere I will ever be, or he is everywhere I'll ever be. And number three, God designed everything about me. God designed everything about me. Look at the text. For you, verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Wow. Now, now, now. When, when I say God designed everything about me, I, I don't mean, and nor do I think the psalmist means my sin, okay? But I do mean, and I think the psalmist means, that God's knitting together me and my mother's wombs mean he was involved in me being born. He was involved in the time that I was born. He was involved in the place that I was born. He was involved in the family where I was born. And all of those natural tendencies and personality quirks and natural desires that make me who I am is from him. It's his work. I mean, the stuff that makes Tim Parrish, Tim Parrish isn't my abuse of the natural stuff God gave me. It's the raw material he put in there. Meaning, I'm wired by God to enjoy certain things. So are you. Like, I, you know, I like football. I just, this is the way I'm wired. I like football. I like reading C.S. Lewis. You may have picked up on that over the years. I love to spend time with my wife and children. If I have a choice, I love you guys, but I'd rather be with them. I mean, it's just the way I'm wired, right? I just, I like that. I like to eat. I like smoked meats. I like smoked meats. 
just the way I see. I, got, I finally got some amens. Oh, yeah. In, in other words, all, all the good stuff that God put in us, it can be turned to sinful abuse, right? But that doesn't make the raw material less from God, nor does it make it less beautiful. So we ought to celebrate. We ought to celebrate the way that God made us and the differences that we all have. Because according to this, God is the one that put that into us. It's, it's what we call Sanctity of Life Sunday, a, a, a Sunday that gets every year recognized as remembering Roe v. Wade and remembering children in the womb, and we celebrate it. We, we recognize Sanctity of Life Sunday. But being pro-life doesn't just mean being against abortion, though it absolutely includes that, and I am 100% pro-life and against abortion. It also means being pro-human life all the time, including our neighbors who look different than us. A number of years ago, we had a, a surgeon here. He was a heart surgeon. His name was Thomas Matthew. He was a cardiothoracic surgeon. And uh, we were friends. He's African-American, and I'm white. I don't know if you noticed that, but anyway. Um, uh, and, and we were friends, and so sometimes he would take me on uh, rounds with him, and, and sometimes into the surgical theater there. Um, and we would go, and sometimes we'd go see somebody he's about to do a surgery on, you know, he's about to crack their chest open and have literally their heart in his hand. And he would say something like this, hey, um, this is my pastor. We were going to pray before we cracked your chest open. No, he didn't say it like that. He said, we're going to pray before the surgery. Would you be open to that? <laughs> Nobody was ever close to that. They maybe didn't even believe in Jesus. They didn't care. You're going to pray? Yep, I'm open to that, right? And on one occasion, we do that. We pray for the person. We're getting ready to go in there, you know. Um, and um, I asked him, I said, hey, Thomas, I need to know. When you crack somebody's chest open and you're, you're like cutting on their heart, can you tell what ethnic background somebody is? Like, like once you're through the chest and it's open and it's just the heart, you know what he said? He said, you can't tell the difference. He said, we're all the same on the inside. We got different wrapping, but we're the same on the inside. And then I asked him the follow-up question, what about Duke fans? Do they, I don't, you don't, they, do they have a heart? I, like what? No, I, and you know what he said? You can't tell once you crack, you can't tell if they're a Kentucky fan or a Louisville fan or a Duke fan. You, when, when the chest is cracked, we're the same on the inside. We are all, no matter what our ethnicity is, our gender, our nationality, our economic strata, our theological position, our political party, what sports teams we follow, we are all part of the human race. And that means there's inherent value and dignity in all human life. All human life. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. All of us. Corrie ten Boom tells a story in her book, The Hiding Place. Corrie ten Boom, for those of you who don't know, uh, was a woman. She and her family during World War II would hide Jews from the Nazis. They were at great personal risk to their own lives. They would hide them and, and, and give them a place to, to live. And on one occasion, they had a mother and a baby or a young child, and, and, and they, they were running out of room. I think they had a watch shop or something like that, and they were running out of room, and, and, and they really wanted somebody else to take it. And a pastor came into the watch shop, and Corrie ten Boom said, would you take this lady and her baby or her child? And, and the pastor said, no. If I take them, I, I, might, I could die protecting them. 
And on a whim, Corey Tim Boom, she thought, well, maybe it's because he's not seeing it. So she runs and gets the baby and brings it out and shows the pastor. And he says, no, I'm not going to take it. I could die. And then Corey Tim Boom's father walks over, takes the baby in his own hands, and says, this is the image of God. It would be an honor for me to die for it. And he did. Genesis 9 verse 6 says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. The point of that command in Genesis was to communicate that you need to be very careful how you treat the image of God. You need to be very careful about how you treat your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents or your neighbor or even your enemy because they too are made in the image of God. And the psalmist recognized that. He had, he had his enemies been made in the image of God. He himself has been made in the image of God, and that is awesome. In fact, he says in verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Somehow I made it this far in life without studying Hebrew. Don't ask me how I did that, but somehow I made it through seminary twice without studying Hebrew. But Derek Kidner, who's a Hebrew scholar at Cambridge University, which is an institution of learning, you may have heard of it, um, he says that this actually can be properly translated, I praise you for I am awesomely wonderful. I mean, can you imagine if I was preaching that this morning and said, I just want you all to know I am awesomely wonderful. <laughs> like you would think, oh, I'm a little cocky, all right? Let me dial it back a little bit, Tim, you know? That's probably what you would think. But the psalmist, he isn't exalting himself. He's exalting the work of God's hand in designing himself and designing, by the way, every human being. So you can say about yourself today, I am awesomely wonderful. In fact, let's just do that. We're going to just do it right now. Repeat after me. I am, I am awesomely, wonderful. awesomely wonderful. Now repeat after me. My pastor is <laughs> awesomely wonderful. Okay, I'm sorry. That's, that was low-hanging fruit. I'm sorry. The point is God's design in each of us, it is wonderful. Oh, we ought to celebrate it. It is awesome. And one of the greatest movies in cinematic history, Kung Fu Panda. This was the first scene, Kung Fu Panda, you know, the panda is fighting and he's having a dream. It's not real, but he's having a dream. And, and somebody's attacking his village and he's beating them all up. And, and he wins. And then, and then, you know, they say to him, you're awesome. How much do we owe you? And he says, no charge for awesomeness. <laughs> well, you can leave here today, according to the psalmist, every single person was designed by God. Awesomely wonderful. You are, he is, she is awesomely wonderful. Why? Because God wove you together. So far be it for you to hate yourself, to abuse yourself or deface what God has made. Be careful with self-abuse and inferiority complexes because at the end of the day, it's not demeaning yourself. It's demeaning the work of God's hands. And that's one of, another one of the reasons why we're so pro-life because according to this text, God is the giver of life. God is the giver of life in the womb. He's the one that opens the womb. He fashions us. He weaves us together as a person made in his image. But it goes beyond the womb. He says in verse 16, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
What is he saying? He's just saying that even from the womb, God had a plan for you. I don't care what your mama thought, what your daddy thought, what the doctor thought. You are not an accident. There's no accidental human life. And young everybody needs to hear this, but especially young people need to hear it. And you need to do more than hear it. You need to let it in and believe it. God has a purpose for you. He fashioned you. He crafted you. He wove you together. This is not the language of accident. This is the language of design and strategy and purpose. In verse 17, he goes on, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Now, again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I should quit telling you that and just take a class, but... I was doing some reading from those who are this week, and um, one of the suggestions was this sentence, how precious to me are your thoughts. It's, it, it can't be translated, how precious are your thoughts to me. Meaning, it, it, he's not just talking about all of God's thoughts in general. Like, God has a lot of thoughts, I'm sure, running the universe, you know, the gravitational pull of Neptune. I, it, like, I, like, there's a lot of stuff in the universe, and so God has a lot of thoughts. But he's not just talking about every thought in general he's talking about God's thoughts towards him and in other words the psalmist is saying you you've thought about me so much I can't even fathom how much you thought about me before I was even born Jeremiah 1 verse 5 says be God is speaking before I formed you in the womb I knew you but not I mean David was talking about in the womb and Jeremiah says before I formed you in the womb meaning God was thinking about you before you were born now, why is that a big deal? Why are God's thoughts towards the psalmist so precious? Well, they are proof of his infinite love and care and commitment. I mean, think of it this way. God thinks about us so much that no matter when you turn your attention to God, no matter when you happen to think of him, right? If you're thinking about God right now, if at 3 a.m. tomorrow morning you start thinking about him or you're driving to work on Thursday and, and you turn to God, you can turn to God and he can truthfully say, I was just thinking about you. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, just a few years ago, I called somebody at church, and, and they answered the phone. They said, Tim, we were just talking about you. It made me feel so good. I forgot to ask, was it good or bad things you were saying? I, I didn't even ask. I, I was just happy somebody remembered me. I, that was, I just, it just, that's what a human being is thinking of us. What about the fact that God is thinking about us? That gives us infinite value. And you know what that gives me? It gives me hope this week. Oh, it gives me hope. God is thinking about us. And it's not, see, it's not only that he hasn't forgotten us. It's that he's actively thinking about you right now. And remember that when you have challenges in your life. God knows everything about me. He's everywhere I will ever be. God designed everything about me. The focus so far in the psalm is all about God. It's all about God. It's about who he is. It's a focus there. And then we get to verse 19. And I'm sure you felt this when I read it earlier. It sounds like uh, something's out of tune with the rest of the psalm. If only you would slay the wicked, oh God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you. God, they're speaking of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. I hate them, Lord. I hate them. Didn't I say I told, I told you I hate them, O oh Lord? I abhor those who hate, who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. What just happened? I mean, all of a sudden, it goes from we're 
listening to David, and pretty, then you wonder if you're in a Medea movie. I mean, it's like, what just happened? There, there, there's this enraptured, God, you're awesome. You know everything about me. You're everywhere I'll ever be. You designed everything about me. I will knock you out. That's what it sounds like. Beautiful poetry about who God is and what difference it makes in this majestic view of God that just takes your breath away until you get to verse 19. And then it's basically, kill them all, praise God. Derek Kidner, who's a Hebrew scholar, writes in his commentary, and I quote, David's reentry to the atmosphere of earth creates, as we might say, a sudden incandescence. You think? <laughs> what do we do with this? Especially as followers of Jesus in the New Covenant. You know, we're supposed to interpret all of Scripture through Jesus Christ, right? So everything in the Old Testament, in Luke 24, uh, 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 Jesus says that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to me. John chapter 5, he tells the Pharisees, look, everything in the Scripture, these are the Scriptures that testify about me, but you refuse to come to me to find life. So according to Jesus, all of the Old Testament is pointing away from itself to Jesus. So how do we read this today and interpret this through Jesus? Jesus who said, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And he did that on the cross, right? They're nailing him to the tree. And what's he doing? He's praying for them. Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing, you know? And first Peter says, we're to follow in his steps. Right? So that's what we're supposed to do when we're being crucified. It's like, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's a hard verse to misinterpret. Really hard to misinterpret. So, so what do we do with this? Christmas, Marlene, Marlene gave me a picture. I have it up in my office. Dr. King, and tomorrow's Dr. Martin Luther King Day, and it's a picture of Dr. King with my favorite quote from him when he said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So what do we do with this? I mean, Dr. King was just reflecting what Jesus said. <laughs> Bless and do not curse. So what do we do with David's attitude? David's attitude here, it seems kind of like, what do we do with this? And, and, and some people, because they're wrestling with this, they just dismiss it. They say, you can't use it. You can't learn anything from it. As New Testament believers, you just have to, you know, throw this out. But 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it. And it's useful. All Scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So, so there's got to be something here that can train us. What's going on? Well, I see a couple of things. And then I'll give you these two, and then we'll be done. First... I think David is just being real with God. This is how he feels, and he's telling God about it. Right? He's just, he's going from majestic, he's got his eyes on the Lord, he's singing about God, and then he sees, you know, his situation, and he just finds hatred in his heart, and he just tells God. Now look, that doesn't mean it's right. It's not right to hate anybody, you know, we're supposed to love everybody, including our enemies, right? So it's not right to hate people, but it is right to tell God when you do feel that way. It, it's right to go, okay, God, I, 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 got some, I got some hatred in here. And I think what David is doing, he's confessing it. He, he's just saying, I, got, I, hate, I hate them all. I just kill them all. Please kill them. You know? And look, I know. It's like, well, he's got these way ups and ups and then some down, down. You never had that? Yeah, the psalmist says, 
God is, I praise the Lord. And then the very next thing, kill them all. I mean, just, have you never felt that way? Of course you have. Some of God's best friends over the year felt that way. Jeremiah, one of my favorite prophets is Jeremiah, uh, because he has these, praise the Lord. And then, like in, in, in Jeremiah 20, verse 13, listen to this. He says, sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the needy from the hands of the wicked. Very next sentence, curse the day I was born. What? Praise the Lord. Curse the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. He goes even further. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news. He just said, praise the Lord. Curse the guy who told my daddy I was born. Why did I, and listen to this, why did I ever come out of the womb? I have felt that way before. Why did I even be, why was I even born? To see trouble and sorrow in the end of my days and shame. Here, here's the point. Sometimes we feel stuff that's not right. And you know what? It is right to tell God that. Just go, God, I just, I'm feeling something, and I know it's not right, and I just want to tell you. And I want you to take it. I mean, I've felt this way before. I mean, I'm, I'm more religious than David, so I'm less honest. You know, sometimes, sometimes I'm more polite than real. And you should be happy about that, actually, on some occasions. That I'm, you know, and I'm happy about that, you too. You know, sometimes I want, just don't be, just be polite. You know, and, but there have been times when, I mean, I've never prayed for God to kill you. I haven't. There are a couple of you, I did ask him to give you a tummy ache. No, I, I didn't really, no, I didn't do that. I did, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here's my point. I, I'm, I'm confessing my sin to you. <laughs> there are times when I feel things that aren't right. And you do too. And David's just giving us an example. Here's what you do. You have, praise the Lord. And then you're feeling, just tell him. God, here's how I feel. And you may be feeling stuff right now about whatever. I don't know, about your family, about our world, our government, our church. I don't know. So tell God how you feel. And then do what he, and then remind yourself of who God is and who you are in him. Remind yourself of the truth. And, and then the, the second thing that David does is when he focuses on God, he's thinking about God, he sees things a certain way. When he gets his focus on his enemy, he experiences hate, and he begins to see in himself things that he knows aren't right. And so he prays at the end of the psalm. And this is how the psalm ends. The psalm does not end with him saying, kill them all, God. The psalm ends with him saying, search me. Look at the last two verses. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, test me, lead me. Search me, test me lead me see here's what I hear happening here David is saying you know what maybe they aren't the problem maybe the problems in here this is profoundly applicable to our world today because almost everybody in our world today wants to say everything all of our problems every issue is out there it's all the bad people and, and, and very few people want to look inside and say, God, search me. 
Test me. Lead me. David says, God, I know there's hatred in my heart. And if I know there's hatred, there may be some things in my heart that I'm not even aware of. So search me. He's inviting the light of God to be put on him. Lord, okay, I'm not going to think about that for a second. You just put the light on. Search me. Lord, maybe there's something inside me that's not right. I know there's stuff that's not. There is hatred. But there might be other stuff too. And so, Lord, search me. And then he says, test me. And and we we often think test feels like a bad word. But all, all the word means is to qualify through examination. You know, when you take a test in school to go to the next grade or you take a test at work to, to get qualified or certified for something, you're, you're doing that so that now you go to the next level. You've been qualified through examination. That's what he's saying. Lord, put me in a place where it reveals what I really know and who I really am. Now, this is a gutsy prayer. Lord, put me, test me. Put me in a situation where it's going to reveal some of that stuff that's in there that I didn't even know was in there. And do you know what's happened in 2020 and beginning of 2021? God has placed us in a place, and it has revealed there was stuff in there we didn't even know. And some of it was ugly. Search me. Test me, but don't lead me there. This is the thing about God. He's not searching you for no reason. He's not testing you for nothing. No, he's going to lead you in the way everlasting, which is where David is prophetically, I believe, pointing to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 